Coffee Carmen Connection is about being human. It's about you choosing to prioritize your well-being, putting the time in to strengthen your resilience to adversity, and being part of a community that holds you accountable and offers support when the going gets tough. Our podcasts bring expert insight and real-life experiences together for you to enjoy and learn what it is that makes us human and how to work with it. Good morning, Mukta. Thank you so much for joining me on this lovely sunny Sunday morning. I'm really excited to chat to you all about you, your background, and and the topics that we've discussed in terms of anxiety, depression, stress, and, and everything that is prevalent today. So thank you ever so much for joining me this morning. Well, thank you very much, Sarah, for inviting me today to talk about, I think, an important subject affecting a lot of people. And I think it's important to address it. And it's a good opportunity that not just talking about it, but in terms of looking at what you are providing and what we can provide for people. I, I think the talk here needs to express what people are passing through, and uh, not individually, but as a society, but also to install hope in a darkness of COVID and that there is a way. And that's we as a mankind, we can overcome this. Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. In fact, prior to our this this chat, I was writing um, some of the content for some of the um, daily boosts that I'm that I'm doing. And you've hit the nail on the head there. As a society, the way we think and the way we behave and what what's been happening to our sort of mental state, our physiological state, our emotional state over COVID has perhaps just highlighted some of the, the the real problems that as a society we're dealing with, even pre-COVID. And I, I think it's great that we can have this conversation. So one of the things you said to me in an earlier conversation was about the hope, just, you know, the, the, the hope that we can bring. What I'd be really interested to know is a little bit about your background and the type of work you do with the the type of, you know, the type of people that I am, crazy, overworked, stressed people. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. I, one of the things I think I'm a psychiatrist, and the way I look at it, a psychiatrist is someone who deals with the unknown, the unexpected. Yes, we try to understand what is not understandable about a human nature. And I think in that way, I think we, we, COVID is just adding to us. I think the society is dealing with what we are de- been dealing with as a psychiatrist. I mean, uh, so that's one of the things we do in terms of looking at this mind, trying to help fellow patients and uh, individuals. I've been in psychiatry for many years and been a general adult psychiatrist and I embrace it in different things. So with every challenge, I've developed certain experiences and skills. I became expert in managing uh, anxiety and mood disorders and I call it the treatment resistant mood disorder with all aspects of anxiety, panic, adjustment disorder, and PTSD. And within that group as well, and generally, I found also comorbidity and dual diagnosis. So I deal with substance misuse. There is a lot of interplay in that area. And always there is some mental illness. Sometimes a lot of the time is influenced by our pre-morbid personalities, who we are what is unique about each individual. So that made me tap into that unknown personality disorder and being trained in the dialectical behavior therapy as a therapist. And also I may, may, may deal with the psychosis. I noticed 
you use the word crazy or not crazy, nobody <laughs> don't like to use that word. I think we are all people who we goes into some emotional turmoil sometimes. Even your psychiatrist has it. But it's about how we bring it down to that level of uh, control and me- make something out of it. You know, I think uh, chaos sometimes in our life is needed. And let us look at COVID as, as threatening chaos. I know it's a different type. So in, in that sense, I look, deal with major psychotic disorder as well, schizophrenia. And, and I, I specialize with, after more than 20 years in mental health, I'm specializing in most the treatment-resistant cases in that case, in that group. Uh, also, I have special interest on in how we start. So I, I deal with perinatal group, group of uh, ladies because I think we need one of the things is prevention. So if anything for COVID and with all those threats, that there are more viruses come are all coming, and I hope not, but let us be prepared for it. So that's what the psychiatrists do. Prevention, we, I know I'm not a child psychiatrist, and I hope you talk to my colleague, Dr. Nadim and Dr. Singh about child psychiatry, but I think we need to prepare for that. So this talk maybe about this managing COVID and dealing with it, making an American understanding of what's happening to us as individuals, but also how to prepare for uh, any other virus, you know, because I think one of the things with COVID, our mind as human and, and our memory as human beings has been, especially the current generations, we've been away from war, disasters for a long period of time. And I think uh, COVID came now and came into our houses. So the war is not in a battlefield now, the battlefield is in everywhere, you know. So I think that's what made it more magnified for us and uh, threatened so many things about our own concept and our own existential issues. Uh, Do you know, just going to the war analogy, my granddad, my granddad passed away from COVID last month yeah. and it was it should not have happened. He was a very, very fit and healthy man. And I said to him when uh, COVID started, how does this, how does it sit with your experience of World War II because he was four in World War II when World War II started so young but I said to him is it kind of the same you know does it, has it have this, got the same feel about it and he said no because when we were in the war we could deal with it as a community and what COVID has done is gone to the very heart of what we are as human beings and taken that community away and that I found so interesting as a, you know, as a species and the fact that we need other people. I thought that was a, a really interesting analogy. But, you know, to your point, it is the battlefield. But the way the battle is being fought is really to pull us apart from each other. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I haven't talked to someone who attended the World War, but it's interesting what he said. And actually, what's amazing about it, because when we came later on what to do, as individual, you talk about actually there is societal management and treatment and role in that addressing the psychological issues, not only just the physical threats. So I think that's interesting. And you were asking me about my background. I mean, one of the things I'm pioneering before even this COVID started, we, we're looking at virtual psychological therapy and, 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 and telepsychiatry and telemedicine. And that's how our organization, NAFS uh, Health, started. And I think that's the society might have changed in a different model now, we're virtual, but that's still taking the human touch of us, but we can make the best out of it. So that's an interesting point, and I, we, we, we may need to come to it, you know, at some stage. 
I also think the the virtual and the telemedicine, or, or as you've mentioned it, doesn't take away from the community because the generations that are coming up now, that is their community. Like my daughter, is, she will have a friend in the room and a friend on FaceTime and she doesn't differentiate between either. So, so that virtual platform that we're building now I and, and that COVID has really increased, I don't see as taking away from the community, community or the, the, the social interaction. I think it is just a, an added an added part of it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think COVID, as I said to you, with all the un, unpleasant things about it and the sorrow about the people we lost and people might we lose, even ourselves, we don't know how far we live. I think it brought another things, brought other, other things in us that how we are going to be prepared, prepared again to deal with threats and unknown because life has been so easy for our generation and the new generations. We're always looking for something bright. We never looked at something threatening at the heart. It brought us again, what does it mean to be a community again? And it actually shows us that we can actually communicate, not as just physical, because we've always been complaining about we don't have time to visit and go. Now COVID told us, get into your iPhone or uh, sorry not to be advocating a certain <laughs> brand, but put your phone and your your, your computer and com- communicate with the people you love. So I think that's one thing we, we need to do it. And don't forget now with virtual reality, I think you can even touch people. I think this is what I'm seeing. I'm not, you know, so hopefully this is might expedite things, but it showed that what we can do and what we have to do. You know, so I think there is a blessing in it in another way, despite the uh, sadness and the loss we, yeah. and, and that feeling you know I think you're right I'd love your I'd love your perspective on this in terms of the what what you're seeing as a psychiatrist so for for myself I'm seeing a whole load of things in myself I'm seeing just the the announcements that happened uh, yesterday about um, the change to Christmas plans logically that's not going to change an awful lot for me personally for my family but I could not help the emotional overwhelm last night and it made me a little bit snappy with the children a little bit snappy with the husband and and I recognized in myself that it was an emotional reaction to what had happened on the tv which didn't have any logical sense and I could not marry those two things up and it made me more irritable with myself and the more I've thought about that this year and my personal reaction to it has been really highs and lows ups and downs of getting it together logically and understanding right this is what needs to do this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to behave and I'm talking in a personal and in a business way so COVID impacted my um my one of my business two of my businesses actually quite significantly so there was a logical planning process to those but the emotional backlash didn't marry up and I could not I've spent the whole year in some kind of flux of not really sure whether I'm in logical brain or emotional brain so and I think that's to do with the uncertainty to do with the control I suppose to do with my perception as uh, you know what I should or should not be doing I'd be really interested for you to um because I'm sure you must see that kind of emotional turmoil a lot thank you very much for that and I'm now we are talking on, on on public and you're going to be my patient in public so I want to get yes. you 
permission for that. Absolutely. I mean, I've been putting a few things uh, you are saying about your personal experience with COVID since we started. You said it shouldn't have happened when you were referring to your granddad, God bless him. And then you said, look about the announcement yesterday, logically, uh, but I couldn't uh, have the emotions and logically planning. And it, you said the emotional response did not add up. So I'll take those things, okay? First of all, for me as a psychiatrist, as a therapist, you know, we need to look at, all of us before things happen. Why it's important to ask why the person, any one of us developed the problem at this stage, okay? So COVID is a threat, you know, and we're looking at people like yourself, successful business women and businessmen, and uh, you, you, you've been trained for years, you have a mindset, you have a predisposition to react and deal in certain ways, just like a scientist as well, you know? That's good because that's what made you progress in life and med scientist brings all those involvement for us. So this type of personalities, yes, are driven, goal-driven, but they are also, we call them controlled emotionally. Over-control. The society loves over-control because the people who can display feelings, emotions before COVID, they were sometimes portrayed as weak, they're emotional, and for somehow maybe biased against your corporate world and, business and the business world. But I think those characteristics were not valued. They were perceived as risk, you know, and you have to be there. So you have to keep your emotions down, control it. You have to be logical. You have to be planning things. You need to look at certain data figures and make the sense out of figures, logical. That's what you kept talking about yourself. And those figures, you make decisions on accordingly and you have a margin of error. Okay, so what COVID did now, COVID came and said, actually, you think you are mighty or almighty. Now, it doesn't make sense for you. And this is why the impact on people who actually over control personalities, professionals, might be a lot more. You know, I'm not underestimating for every individual because society makes us more controlled and have to have control. So one of the things we use, it affects how we behave and how we feel. So they should and shouldn't. Once we start, this shouldn't happen. Who said so? And now, so, who, and this is exactly what uh, COVID is saying. A virus should come or can come, okay? So that's the first thing, the threats, which blow you of your control, of your uh, balance, you know? And then COVID is not logical because it's not working according to our logic. Yes, we are trying now to understand it. Scientists looking into it to understand how it multiply, how it progress to do that. So all those things put at a stage of being lacking control. And in addition to the threat, because it's the first threat of, of COVID, you are going to die. Some of us, is uh, with this, we are all of us, we negotiate because that's a loss. Even if someone telling me I'm going to die and I'm going to kill you, I need to negotiate whether you give me extra time. So it's an unexpected de death. For logically people like yourself, business people, you cannot buy any cure for it. You cannot plan for it. And it's something, someone who you cannot negotiate with it. Because we, we are not even for a negotiation. You have to be in a, a position, what is your bottom line? With COVID, they have, it has no bottom line, you know. Yes, you can get away with it at the end, but there is no bottom line. So that's when brings us to what happening to us. Why is this specific group, maybe, or certain professionals? Their predisposition, that an over-controlled personality. Yes, they're driven, but they're control, over-controlled. And the society value that they're good, they're emotional, 
cool, make decisions in time, planning it. All that's been taken away. And underneath that, not just as a general group, that group of individuals will be quite methodic, methodical. If you do personality analysis, you know, and not disorder, and I need to clarify that. I have a personality, but that's it's a personality. It could be a disorder when it interferes with me. But certain personalities suit certain jobs. So more obsessional, you know, that makes you, people rely on you because you want to get it right. If you've got an, uh, an apprentice or an employee who's actually OCD-like, that means they're conscientious, they will do, need to do it, they will attend to details. Do you like them? You don't have to be over them all the time. Then you get someone who may be a little bit paranoid and I don't want in terms of things. So you need to look at things. You don't take things at a face value. You need to look beyond it. So that combination makes you a good businessman. And then the sense of initiative, taking that risk, controlled risk and measured risk, you know, which is the driven part of the personality. Now come COVID, okay? So you can't plan, you know? That c control is being taken away from you, you know? That logic has been taken away from you. You can't adjust because with me being as an obsession, because that's what makes you a, a doctor or psychiatrist or professional, or it's sometimes it's a th that thing, you just have to deal with it. And becoming obsessional sometimes, you get a little bit of rigidity in it. How can I change? Yes, one of the things in businessmen, and I want to, to always say a, a message of hope, not unrealistic, but it should be realistic based on facts. I'm not saying they can't because those personalities are not change, changing. They, they need to become more flexible, not, you know. And how is that happens? Because one of the secrets of success of successful people is that you got failure, okay? And you have to rub your, your shoulder of any dust of that failure and you start again. So whatever it is today, maybe that's one be the other thing to use that, yes, the lack of flexibility we need to loosen it a little bit. And that's what the therapy comes to at the end, is that the connectivity, okay? So this happens, so the connectivity part of it as a society, and we take part in it. And I think your, your initiative is called about connect. And actually it's a therapy, you know, in itself, that word in itself is a therapy. Then we talk about calmness. We talk about calmness. Calmness for a therapist is what an individual does. And there are techniques for it. We come to it, mindfulness, anxiety management, relaxation, but also about retrospective looking at yourself and mindfulness as well. So also include retrospective looking at yourself and letting go of few things and train. So that capability makes you lose the face business and build another one more successful. Means now to try in your mind to frame COVID as a, a lost venture, how we can build a new one and learn from it. But the new one will also accommodate into it a risk of virus, which we never done it before. So that's that's something, or maybe some people did it because don't forget, I don't, I'm not in a businessman, but some people capitalize on this disasters and catastrophe, although this has been far and beyond anything else. So that that this, I think that's my answer your question. I mean, I could go on and on and on again. So. Coming back, it doesn't make sense of my emotions. Sorry. That's why important to understand why your emotions are so magnified because they make sense. For you, they don't make sense. But if you understand about yourself, why I feel that way, why I was trying to blame something and this just take it out of control. And it's accumulative and repetitive. At the beginning of the year, we saw summer is the end. Do you know? And that's what's put our plans. We put hold on summer and planned everything. Then came and the Christmas is... Uh, 
the, the end of it. And now we're talking, maybe people talk about four months and more. We don't know. So what we need from now and that level of calmness and, and, and retrospective is to look at actually how can I plan it day by day? And this is where the therapeutic techniques of mindfulness comes. Can I make the best of it and let that planning stay at a hold or go at a slower pace? I think that's the most important thing we can do, you know, short-term planning. You know, I absolutely love the analogy you've just given me there. COVID is a lost venture. What would you do with a business? How, how would you view this in a business perspective and, and what can you learn from it? I'm going to use that. I really like it. The other thing that you said that I find really interesting is retrospective looking at yourself. So one of the analogies that I've read in one of the various books that I've read is about the inner lens. And before you can really look at any of the external stuff, you should really look at the lens at which you are viewing something because there's always a perception perhaps that you're unaware of that's just putting a few maybe narrowing the parameters of the event you're viewing so whatever it is that's happening you're looking at it in a particular way so you will pull something particular out of that event and actually there's a you know if you were aware of those parameters you might view something differently and that's a really difficult thing to do because I do an awful lot of self-analysis and I suppose I always have. So I'm constantly double checking for what parameters I'm viewing an external event through um, to see whether I'm wrong or right in my assessment of that um, event. And that in itself uh, is a very black and white logical way to approach the inner evaluation of self. Do you know what I mean? It almost undoes the entire point behind it, which really does make me laugh quite a lot sometimes. <laughs> okay, can I double check? Are you still giving me the uh, consent to go ahead and analyze your own life? Do you know what, Mukta? <laughs> I love this. I really love this. What I can learn from your analysis of me um, is incredible. But hopefully, Hopefully, I'm not such an anomaly that people listening will also go, ah, hang on, that's me. And it will be of, of help to them. And one of the things that um, Aji and I talked about in, in our podcast, which I loved, was about being human. So the entire point behind Coffee, Calm and Connection is to drop all of this um, social media perfection lifestyle and just be human. Everybody has these problems and thinks this way and gets in a knot. Uh, and I have always worn my heart on my sleeve. So, you know, if it can help somebody, then analyze away. I love it. Okay. So, sorry, I, I didn't get it analyzing you, but I think you are displaying what all of us we do. If you ask me, one of the things I learned from psychiatrists, not my livelihood, it's about allowing me to have that reflection on decisions, on my perception on life, and I also to be reminded by it because sometimes we fall back. So for you and the listeners, it's not about analyzing because some people are worried about psychiatrists and psychologists. No, it's about actually having that point to reflect, you know. And and you said you do a lot of self-analysis. Don't do a lot of it. Otherwise, we'll all be put out of jobs, not because of COVID, <laughs> but because of you. <laughs> so that's nothing else would encourage. Okay, but put it this way. We help you. We are here to help you and help the audience to, to do some self-reflections. <laughs> put it this way. I mean, it's good to have that a way of look at 
the decisions, you know. One of, one of the things we generally tend to do is our mindset. And I'm glad what you said. It's always to reflect on how we think. And I'll give you one of the modalities in therapy is CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. And my analogy to it is the end product of your emotions actually started in your head, that's the cognition, and then how you behave and how you feel. You know, so how you feel that you have, you behave. So the heart, the mind, the heart, the emotions, and the behavior. So what we do as individuals is always driven by logic, you know, by an idea. Idea could be right, it could be wrong. You know, that's, you know, or put it this way, it's difficult to say to someone a strong idea because it's the outcome of how you analyze the information at that moment in time and make decision, you know. So when you said to me, for me, um, I, I, I look, see how I went through, whether I was right or wrong. No, that's later on, retrospectively, you say this is the wrong decision. But when that, you made the decision, you made it according of certain ideas. So one plus one, how much is it equals? Whatever it, your mind told you, it was equal three rather than two. And you acted accordingly and you felt accordingly. So that's why I want people to understand what we what behavioral therapy does and what therapy does and what even talking to your therapist, whether that psychodynamic or whether a therapist or a different group of therapists, whether even if you are in a group with other people, is that people help you to, uh, to look at the ingredients of your thoughts, A plus B. How did I come to that calculation rather than one plus one equals two, three, you know? So that's the reflection. That's even when you sit with someone in a group and just ch have a chat, they can reflect on you actually, no, you got it wrong. There is another perspective to it. You may just focus on one angle and you went ahead with it. So what I wanted to see in terms of what's happening to all of us and what's coming now, how we address it. Yes, we're looking now at government support us with vaccine and measures and all those things, scientists helping us with finding the facts of it. Now we are going to look at, in each work, they have to look at how to protect their employee from a physical point of view, but also now they have to put some measures to protect our own vulnerability and to be able to embrace how we are individuals. I'm a chief executive in a big corporate company, but they need also to be mindful. It's not going to take away from me if I felt vulnerable or emotional. In the corporate business, you are maybe an anomaly in it because it's mainly led by men, you know, and that's those have, have their own specific problems because they shouldn't, I shouldn't say the way it shouldn't, but they don't say show how they're feeling and they shouldn't, they do not like to present as vulnerable, you know. So that culture, there's a huge cultural change has to take place within the corporate business. So the, it's about the cognition. So for us as individuals, how we take control again and how we lead our life is to look at our own conceptions, perceptions, what is valuable for us for life and those shouldn't and, 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 and shouldn't happen and, and must, you know. Once we looked at those ones and we put them to their level of what they are, let's, let's say, I should have a, a, a big house. Why I can't say I need to have a, a safe place? So I think that's inner revision is what's going to take us through the next po uh, post-COVID era, you know, or even during this COVID era, because we are not we don't know how long it is. It should take us through the uncertainty. So that's the, that's a change on the frame of mind. 
coming again here to what you said, for me, it's black and white. This is one of the cognitions a therapist helps the individual understand why they are more prone to depression or anxiety. Because they call, we call it the automatic thoughts. So how I was brought up, my life experiences programmed me as an individual to think in a certain way and we have a certain pattern of thinking, right or wrong. We use it because it's easy for, for us to negotiate and navigate through life complexity in that way because so much in life complex. So we need to break it down to small things. So right or wrong, you know, someone else might question that, you know. And then the other type of cognition is that whatever happens to us, we call it catastrophization. So COVID is definitely not an easy thing, but I don't want all of us to go to catastrophe. Yes, we lost a lot of lives, hundreds and thousands of lives worldwide. It took the livelihood. It, it took the self-esteem from a lot of people, you know, and damaged a lot of relationships. That's definitely a huge thing. But for me as an individual, let me rather than, if a catastrophe, that means with it comes a feeling of being paralyzed. It comes with it the feeling, the loss of control. I can't do anything. It's beyond my control. Okay. And, and that's what we need to do. Yes, it's something big. So we need to, and huge but I need to look at how I can deal with it. And then with other type of cognitions, if the therapist helps you, is that what we call it generalization and selective abstraction. What is selective abstraction? I come, the best example I give it, I come to a room, there is a part of the room is not tidy. I say, this place is whole, unclean. And then more than that, I can't generalize. If I went to a, a, an insurance company, I think those people, I don't trust them. Actually, that can happen in, in the spot. I come and look at your desk, it's untidy. You may have not been wearing something uh, like giving me that sense of being uh, authority. And then I generalize whatever you convince me, a good deal you give me, it actually went out of the window because I wasn't listening because I generalized in just one interaction or just one word you said it. And I leave your office. You know, and I think that's what one of the things we all of us, we need to be mindful of within this COVID era and experience. Yes, it damaged our livelihood. It damaged some aspect of our self-value. But we don't want to say to take it and become I'm a failure. I can never survive again and generalize from it and everything. And not to generalize there is no future. We can never survive or become, I'm not changing this line of work. You know, I'm not good at it. I think that's the things, and those are the cognitions, what we can help each other, either within a group, and I'll come to the therapeutic factors of being in a group, or approaching my counselor or my therapist, even my psychiatrist, to be that reflective mirror for me to what's going on in my head, and put it into its context. This is will help once now. I have a question. Okay, so the, ge the abstract generalization, that principle is in everyday life and you see it happening with people exactly like you've said. Abstract generalization is what builds things, I think, like stereotypes. And it's almost an easy way to compartmentalize because if you think of, um, I forget, forget where I read this, but 
the amount of input that we have on any one moment, sensory input from all different angles, the way we process it, the brain starts to develop these shortcuts, which is what generalization is, isn't it? It's a shortcut. Ah, this has happened. My experience or this stereotype or tells me that this is the result and therefore I'm going to proceed on that basis. And all future decisions that come out of this will go through that generalization filter. Some of that is necessary to stop sensory overload and it's necessary to, to ever move forward because if you spend your life reassessing every generalization, you'll never get anywhere or do anything. You probably won't even brush your teeth in the morning effectively. When does the balance become unhelpful? Because it's all about balance, isn't it? And my personal opinion is recognizing the concept of general uh, generalization, abstract generalization, but being aware enough of when you're doing it to be able to check and go, hang on a minute, this doesn't quite fit. But that takes quite a lot of, of, of self-reflection. When's the balance? How do you, how do you manage that? Because that you've just, that's absolutely one of my biggest daily fights is I've made this judgment, but wait, was it right? Well, it was based on all the things I know and nothing's changing it, but something doesn't feel right. How do I marry those two things up? And I tie myself up in knots. Okay, I mean, thank you very much for that. I think it's one of the thing challenges. As I said to you earlier, even as a psychiatrist, I, I cross-reference sometimes my own values judgment with what I come through. I'm lucky because I could see a lot of people coming and making the same mistake. So that would be a reflection for me. It become a problem. Don't forget, you are absolutely right. All those mechanisms of thinking are there to help us adapt to a very complex life and make actually instantaneous decisions which are needed. You know, otherwise we'd be paralyzed not making decisions, losing opportunities. But we need to look into it when it becoming counterproductive. When you start to look, to think, when you start to think actually, I lost so many opportunities. What is the driving thought behind? And that's when you start to look actually because I just based it on this decision, on this judgment, or this is attitude. So when it becomes counterproductive, when it affects you in progressing in your work, when you lose a lot of opportunities, you need to look at the theme. And that's maybe when the supervision helps you, when someone else gives you some feedback, that's important to look into it. <clears throat> but before all this happened, and anything for... Uh, COVID to take a credit for is that it allows us to be introspective about how we, what we value and what we take as face value in life. So educating ourselves about who I am, and always I say to people, you don't come to me and say, change my personality. I can't change your personality, and I don't want you to hate your personality. Impress it. So when you understand this is who I am as a person, and I tend to have that bias or shift to make decisions accordingly. So my, if I'm an extrovert, that will influence my, my likeness in life, things I want to do, my decision. If I'm an OCD, that is going to influence my speed and decision-making. So all those things, we need to be aware of it and embrace our personalities and make sure we are aware of our blind spots. So when we notice a pattern coming there, remember actually this is who I am, and this is my device, I'm using it. Yeah, this is happening to me. So I think that's where you do it, but not to, not to blame yourself too much because this is what I want people to avoid and everyone. Because if you started to blame yourself, you're then going to another 
type of automatic thoughts happening with the depressive type of individuals. So it's you self-blame, I'm a failure, and I have no future, and, 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 and that builds on. And that leads you to becoming dysfunctional whatsoever. So I think that's the areas we need to look into it. Put it this way, not to leave it as an obstacle for us. You know, I think that is very important. I think it's incredible. I love the human brain and looking at uh, perceptions and interactions and 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 why like why do some of us go one way and some of us go another and and what influences those factors i'm so fascinated by it so i really really value these kind of conversations because i think it's how you learn isn't it can i ask a very random question what is the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist Look, I mean, it's in, it's in the background. I mean, a psychiatrist, we, we are doctors by training. So we go and attend uh, six years of medicine. Then we specialize after a period of housemanship. And uh, psychiatrists, we, we, because of our background, in terms of we are allowed in terms of prescribing medication, in terms of we do, uh, do the anatomy, so we look into the brain, but that doesn't mean the neuropsychiatrists don't do that. But that's what's the difference between us. Psychologists are interested in the behavioral element of it. They, 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 they are not, some of them now are getting uh, permissions to prescribe medication, but they're more interested in ter- certain uh, schools of therapy. So we started with Freud, psychodynamic, now we're putting the CBT, the dialectical behavior therapy, the emotional, uh, uh, rational emotional therapy, all different types of therapies. But uh, at the end, therapists, and us as psychiatrists, some of us are trained as therapists as well. I think you may meet my colleague, Dr. Ismail, who is a psychiatrist and a therapist as well. You know, and I, I'm a psychiatrist, but also I'm trained as a dialectical therapist as well. You know, so this is the differences, but it's in about we are controlled, by, we are regulated by the General Medical Council, just like any other doctor. We are controlled by the different uh, regulatory authorities. You know, so that's that's the difference between us. But I think the common sense is a fascination with the human mind and, uh, and the unknown. Yeah. Do you know, I did a psychology, I did psychology, English and law A-level. And I really struggled between choosing to go to university to do law or to do psychology. And I went with law. And the early part of my career was as a lawyer. And I, I often look back and go, why? What? Why did I do that? Because now, I mean, I'm 37. So what, 12, 15 years on, I'm thinking, should have done psychology because I'm so fascinated by this, not not least by my own, you know, self-reflection. See, I'm learning. I'm not saying analysis. I'm saying reflection. But also in watching my children and how they are chalk and cheese and how I've got three very different individuals and how can they be so different when they come from the same, the same two people? I just, I'm absolutely fascinated in it. So I, I really, really enjoy these type of conversations. And I really do hope that we get to do this a lot more because it's fun. I think that's a good thing about it. And in terms of studying psychiatry or psychology, I think it is uh, understanding about ourselves. And I think that's a quest of every individual in life to understand why I'm doing this way and why behave. It does help you. It does help you. And I think as a, a lawyer, you deal a lot in indirect way or a subconscious level with the human nature. You still have the chance to study forensic psychology, 
So you can be, <laughs> add into that. You know, I, I think it's important. It does help. I mean, understanding even for a lawyer or every behavior. I mean, even if you look into it in your corporate in terms of the insurance field, I mean, the behavior influence, the, the cognitions influence a lot of our behavior and decision making. My my early, my legal career was all working with uh, asylum seekers and refugees and doing applications for asylum and tribunal hearings for asylum appeals. And I did quite a, a lot of work with unaccompanied minors. And my sort of lifelong goal as a 25-year-old was to work for Amnesty International or UNHCR. So you could argue very you know that the the human interaction and the understanding and that that you know very much drove a lot of the enjoyment's the wrong word but maybe self fulfillment that I got from from that that particular career path so there's there's certainly a link certainly a link and I do think one of the things that I'm really enjoying about Coffee Calm Connection is the more people I speak to, and, and you're absolutely right about the environment I work in being very male-dominated, but the more people I speak to, even at very high levels of big corporates, that COVID has enabled them to be more human, to be more vulnerable, to say things that perhaps they would never have dreamt of saying the other, uh, you know, before. And I was in a meeting not that long ago. And one of the, I think there was five of us, I was the only female, and all high-level execs within their particular organization. And one of them said, made a reference to, you know, undertaking CBT therapy at that present time, mm-hmm. which was, I don't want to say shocking because uh, that has a negative co- connotation, but, you know, was not something I had expected. And the fact that he did I thought was incredible. So it's coming, that the change is coming. And I really hope that Coffee Calm Connection and, and the relationship between NASF and Coffee Calm Connection, I think there's an awful lot of great things that we can do to bring to, to um, the corporate world to really be human and, and allow some of these vulnerabilities to come out and allow some of the self-perceptions to come out. So I'm really excited about it. I'm glad you said that because if you ask maybe in terms of for us in NAFS health and then when you came to me about talking about your initiatives, Coffee and Karma, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because when you approached me in terms of this podcast and we looked at how NAFS health and Coffee Karma connect and cooperate, I embraced that very much and, and for one reason, because it's easy for us in terms of Yes, people come, we offer the therapy, we offer the support. But for me, there are, and that's what we help the individual to understand in terms of self-reflect and uh, and then learning certain skills, what I call it. And this is for all of us now who are going through therapy or people who are just going through the effect of COVID as a society is to look, develop new coping strategies or to look our coping strategies, which help us and strengthen it. So that's what we help within that one hour in the therapy. But there is an ele- other element, you know, is coming with what you provide. And actually, as you mentioned earlier on, it actually emphasizes the importance of the society, whether that's an online society or a physical society. And that's a groups. So what does Coffee Common Connect does? And that's why I impress even for other initiatives. is that it allows people to utilize what I call it the healing therapeutic factors in a group. In any group, there are about 12 
healing therapeutic factor, just being into that group, being coming there and feeling validated and to- talking about what you are passing through without being judged, you know, and feeling safe and feeling connected with others and sharing. And sometimes that our own thoughts or misconceptions are challenged by someone who's passing through the same thing. I can say to you, I'm depressed. I did this not because of what you thought, because yes, my boss is horrible to me. I can say to you, actually, I've been doing the same thing, not because even I didn't have a boss, but because I identify with how you think. So that's how you allowed your boss and your perception about your boss to get you into this situation and both of us did. So those are the groups. And I think that's what we need, the therapeutic uh, factors within a group. So that's why initiative like yours are important and why we encourage it. Not only that, but what you talk about your uh, the meeting, I think one of the things is to challenge some workplace environments, to change the culture, to bring it. Because put it this way, now with COVID, it laid bare all our weaknesses. So the, the mighty CEO no longer is vulnerable, just like any other employee in that organization. All our policies, all what we try to project, and projection is good for business, it's part of our life, but now it's bare naked in front of everyone. So we need to look at how a new culture. I mean, men, even before COVID, there was a lot of research and work in looking at their mental health, because this is group day. This is what I forgot to talk about, the over-controlled group, men and women in the corporate business. Because the over-control, not in terms of the emotions, it's about taking as much as of anything and carry on with it and getting things done and review and, and delaying gratification. Because you can go on days and months on the run involved in a project and this will affect your relationship with your wife, with your kids, and, and you don't care because that joy, that drive is there. Now, with COVID, maybe one of the therapies actually to hold on and start to think, how can I get sense of pleasure and joy with sitting with people who are foreign to me or that are in my house? So that's the thing. This is a change. This is the new coping strategies. Then maybe even with your kids, how you learn from mindfulness. With your kids as a driven corporate businessman, you are going and working hard and you may not even have time or even sometimes everything is logic. You can't even negotiate or you find it difficult to take the things from your kids. You need to think about being to, going to an opera. One of the things to enjoy an opera is to suspend your logic, to enjoy it, to imagine it, to dream. So I think we need now to suspend some of our logic and what you kept using it earlier on the logic. Mm. You need to suspend it and just have the minute, you know. So we talked about how we are coping with this because I think important. I want really to emphasize the, the hope and there's so many things we can do. Because yes, financially, we are all being tied up. This is out of our control, but let us look at other things. So workplace assessment, we need to have lobby, look, make a campaign. I hope this talk goes to some corporate CEOs. They understand they can do it. It's something for the future. And and in terms of changing those workplace environments and adding to it and prepare for the next virus or whatever it comes, then for us individually, looking at our coping strategies, looking at how we think, how we interpret, how we reevaluate what we can enjoy and how we protect personal space as physical through the mask and all those things. And hopefully now with the immunization, then creating that connectivity. Your initiative is well. I need to connect with my family as well, connect my smaller or wider family group. 
now to COVID told us you don't have to drive, which is too much. You can use at least a minimum the online. So I think those are the things we can look into it. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. And um, that delayed gratification really driven is a very strong part of my personality and is sometimes to the detriment, maybe more than sometimes of my children. Uh, I'm in the office on a Sunday and um, and and you're right, a re-evaluation of that is really um really important and it's easy to justify either which way and it depends on what you want as to which way you justify it and 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 sometimes you just probably need to have a look at that and I'm obviously speaking to myself right now about whether or not I stay in the office and do some of the work I had planned or whether I go home and I take the kids for a walk with the dog (laughs) and I know which one I should choose. I mean, I'm glad you said that. One thing I wanted to say to you, to the audience, we're not analyzing you and there is always hope and I don't want anyone to feel we we are harsh on them. I'm just like you because for us to succeed in life and to get to what the perception tells us is what success is and what we need to be there, we had to sacrifice a lot, you know, and we have to go through a lot, you know, to get into those positions and to keep going on it, you know. And I think... One of the things we justified, what we call it therapist rationalization, that's one of our ways of coping and dealing with things, the defense mechanism. But what I want to say is important is that this is an opportunity to remember that what made us and brought us up, what, what makes a man go up, or a woman, I don't want to be sexist, what makes you go up can also bring you down. And this brings, again, when you ask me about how can I identify my misconceptions, whatever our misconceptions or whatever our driving feelings or, or, or driving factors motivate us, it can take us up, but we need to be very mindful not to let it take us too far because it can bring us down. So that control, that determination, that being of a go along with it, we need to understand, yes, it gets us somewhere. If not, if not where we want, not far away from it. But we need to at some stage with COVID or without it, to actually to say, hold on, we need to be mindful because this is going too far. Yeah. I treat people with addiction. And one of the things I ask them a question and throw some of them back, What's, what do you like it? And I use the word like it because you use it. There is something, like it, I said, there is something in it for you. That's what we need to identify. And for us, also part of the same, to identify what motivates us and how we put it not let it go beyond one of the um one of the blind spots or biases of my personality that I have identified in bucket loads is quite a compulsive or addictive personality so when I get my teeth into something I don't let go and I go and I go and I go and I go so uh, whether that's a new business venture of which I've always got ideas or whether it's I don't know the latest CrossFit fad which I've have done in the past or whatever it might be, I get quite addicted and I go. But I don't go in bite-sized chunks. I jump all in to 10 different things at once and you can't possibly manage that. So then I don't ever manage all of them and end up failing, right? So, So this is what I've noticed. So I've made a decision with myself for 2021 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my decision here on a podcast because when this goes live will probably be in February and then it's my accountability so you can play it back at me and say Sarah did you manage that so I have two two goals and they they're interlinked one is I am going to go completely alcohol free for a year because because uh, 2020 has brought with it a renewed like for Rioja, shall we say. So 20 to 2021 is going to be completely dry because I need to tell myself I can and because I want the focus and clarity that comes with a clear head and also because I'm 37, so a heavy night lasts four days before I'm back to normal. So dry, but also I'm going to do Land's End to John O'Groats in terms of miles running. So over the course of the year, Eight, I think it's 874. I've, I've got an app that tells me. Uh, and I'm going to log that distance and I'm going to run that distance over the course of the year. And those two things, I think, work really well together. So I'm telling you here now because it's only two things. So it's not 10. So it should be doable. It's a consistent goal rather than rather than a really heavy short term goal. I want to I want to try with myself to do something long term and that's my plan. What do you think? It's a great plan. I hope you, you use it because, and I hope you do it. The only thing, don't set figures, you know, those 8,000 miles or <laughs> whatever your app tells you. I think it's getting into the habit. I think that's important because with just being very fixed and rigid about the goal, that can increase up your level of anxiety. And then you talk about and set it with your mindset with being a failure or success achieved or didn't achieve you know so that's the thing you need to think about about, and having that sense of enjoyment at the moment at the end if you made it a habit that's important i like the word consistent and i think for all of us now i know the human nature is that we tend to forget our memories are short but i think if you get into the habit and that's become part of your norms that would be good if any other person listening to us i think whatever positive things you have been able to do in COVID, keep it up, even if it's small. Mm. That is one of the fundamental foundations for Coffee Calm Connection is it's that habit, it's that process, it's every day, it's five minutes and it's delivered to your phone. Take that five minutes until it becomes habit. And that was from the feedback we had from, from, from people on some of the things we did this year was, this is fabulous. We just need the habit. How do we make it a habit? And that's what that's what we are, you know, building. That the habit alongside the community is uh, and, and, and that's habit building and keeping the motivation going. That's one of the therapeutic factors in group. Because when your level of motivation comes, then you come another one from the group carries you through. So you don't hit the rock bottom and you don't stop. So someone carries you through there with and then we and then you carry someone else. So you don't feel bad about yourself because I've been doing it all the way through. So if I've been doing it two months or three months and you haven't been doing it well, you definitely see me slipping down in the fourth months and we're equal. So I think that's the good thing about being in a group, you know? You Absolutely. Know? So I think I do encourage that and I hope that will happen. I mean, one of the things in NAFS Health, our motto is never alone feel stressed. So I think that comes with alone and connect, you know? Mm. So the whole for us to be able to open if anything about this, don't forget, in, even in human nature, we go through, through changes that change the whole society. 
there's anything despite the sacrifices of the millions of hundreds of thousands of people die of uh, COVID. I think that's the open a new era for that connectivity and never alone to be alone, you know, and feel stressed because that's a starting point. The other thing I come into what you talked about in terms of your addiction, use the word addiction to initiative. What, what happens? This is a physiological process because when you got hooked into doing something, when, as I said, to you, I asked them what you, what you likes about it when you are addicted to alcohol or cocaine or heroin. Is that actually when we like something, when we enjoy it, we get our dopamine in our brain, in our pleasure center released. So although you are in, in pain physically, you are dead, you are doing hours, you're not sleeping, but that dopamine is released in abundance. And that keeps you going. That keeps you dependent on it. That's a, just a, that's the joy of it, you know? So that's what keeps us all addicted to something and, we, and how we need to. So what you do emotionally and co cognitively is actually mirrored by your body. Physiologically, it gives you the ammunition to continue doing it. And and, 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 and and that's why we need to look at how we can modulate this release of processes of our internal uh, dopamine. So you need now with running, hopefully develop the same self sense of enjoyment from doing it, from the hard work, or let's say for someone else from using alcohol or drugs. So once you get that, you get the same amount of dopamine, the pleasure transmitter, and thus you can enjoy the other thing. So you mirror the two things together and you, you use a positive and you are not using the negative coping or pleasurable uh, source, you know. I think that's um, really a good analogy again, marrying up something positive to something negative and try to align the two in terms of switching one coping strategy for another. I, I, uh, I'm, I think that's fabulous. I think that might become one of the, boost topics that we that we go through so no very much Mukta I have so enjoyed speaking to you it's been really really enlightening for me uh, and hopefully for everybody listening either that or everybody's going to go oh Sarah <laughs> what did you do there <laughs> I think I to, I, I'm sorry I was not analyzing you I just want to make these statements but Sarah is as normal as anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Define normal. My psychiatric diagnosis. And she just uh, seems like all of us. And hopefully we, we all come through. This we do. Time. I think... I like to leave us on on the note that my eight-year-old is always using the word weird. Something's weird. You're weird. That's weird. And my response is always good that's where I want to be why would I want to be normal so um so I you know it's good things all good things thank you ever so much for your time oh thank you very much and good luck in your venture and hopefully it goes well for Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee, Calm and Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecalmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.